Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Fed's favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond. Plus, sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Miller Junkies. Are you having a tough time navigating the twists and turns of the Trump-Russia investigation? So to be clear, you want easily digestible and succinct reporting on the Mueller investigation? That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. It's time you check out Mueller, She Wrote. Mueller, She Wrote is a weekly podcast where three female comics take a deep dive into the most consequential investigation in modern political history. I'm your host, A.G., and I have to remain anonymous because I work for Trump's executive branch. Join me, along with Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn, as we report the facts, break exclusive news, and bring it all to you with just the right amount of snark. Then we top it off with our Fantasy Indictment League, exclusive interviews from guests including Asha Rangappa, Chris Cluey, Rabia Oshadri, and Scott Stedman, followed by Conjecture, all while we speculate on who is... So tune in for consistent updates and reliable coverage on Manafort, Cohen, the Trump family, Russia, and everything Mueller, and make Mondays great again. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mueller She Wrote. And check out our website at MullerSheWrote.com. You'll be glad you did. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, welcome to Mueller, She Wrote. I am your anonymous host, A.G., crunching the smash act. I don't know anymore. (laughs) Uh, and with me, as always, is Jaleesa Johnson. Hello. And Jordan Coburn. Good to be here. And this, good to be here. It's different from your usual hello. <laughs> uh, this is our Pod Save America crossover and Beat Nunez in November extravaganza bonanza episode. So yes. exciting. I'm very, very excited. Um, Yeah, this week we have Dan Pfeiffer. He's a former senior advisor for President Obama and co-host of Pod Save America. And uh, he's got a new book out, so we'll check that out. And we have the incomparable Andrew Jantz, who is running as the Democrat for Congress in the 22nd District in California against Jordan's boyfriend, Devin Nunes. (laughs) Are you hurt and sad? I'm more hurt and sad that my one comment 
many months ago has stuck with me and haunted me this long. <laughs> We've committed to the bit. I do like that. It's a thing now. But, but yes, yeah, no. Uh, Andrew's fantastic, and I'm excited for the interview. Yeah, it's a great interview. So uh, we have a lot to get to this week. Jalisa is going to discuss updated stories related to the Ukraine peace plan, if you remember all that. Turns out it happened a year before we thought or something like that. You'll, you'll, you'll keep us up to date or you'll update us on that. And Jordan is going to give us an update on Roger Stone. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go over the New York field office leaks. Um, so it's going to be a fun show. So did you guys have uh, – how was your week? It's been, it's been it, good. Better? Yeah. Yeah. Better this week than last week in personal stuff. But um, the country was – shook dude scored this week with the news of what's going on at the border so yeah that's put, been that's been crazy putting nationally. babies in jail yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. i got a tattoo though yeah you sure yeah. did you got a wilpert tattoo mm-hmm. you and russell brock, brock and Haley nicole yeah Haley got little step ladders because totally. one of his jokes is i just bought a new step ladder but what is it um but i'll never love it as real, much as my real ladder <laughs> 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 so they got little step ladders. It's a cute one. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's going to go. And then we'll put the, the Moshi Road tattoo right next to it, right? Exactly. Yes. I want to get more now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, is this your first one? Yeah, exactly. Oh, you'll never stop. Mm-hmm. It's yep. addicting. Yeah. Um, I had a dream this week that I made out with Comey. Oh, my. That's scandalous. I know. He, <laughs> somebody was like, I told my best friend. I haven't told anybody yet. And she's like, well, how was it? And I was like, he was very honest and transparent. Honest loyalty. But then he told everyone about it 11 days before his wedding. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. He's very That's really he's funny. tall. Um, yeah, people think that we're doing bits when we say we're sexually attracted to James Comey. Mm-mm, that's just real life. <laughs> it's not a bit. <laughs> and I know, I know he ruined the country. Um, I mean, he had a role. We all had a role in ruining the country. Well, I know I did. Not, uh, <laughs> not I did t- my part. <laughs> no, we, we're, trying to, we're trying to rescue yes, yes. Uh, the country. I want to redeem myself. Um, and I'm going to go more into uh, Comey's role in this um, a little bit later in the show when I do my hot notes. So... Stick around for that. Um, uh, let's see. We have a couple of corrections from last week. I had said that Nixon offered John Dean a pardon on the phone, but it was actually Haldeman. It was his chief of staff. Mm-hmm. So so there. And uh, nobody pointed that out to me. I just It occurred to me when I was listening to it. I'm like, that's not right. Who said I, that? You fact-checked <laughs> yourself. I love that about you, AG. <laughs> and then someone pointed out in our best of uh, episode that we listed all the impeachments. We forgot Andrew Johnson. So, yeah, I I know it was on CNN. It was widely covered. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I know. I just I completely forgot about Andrew Johnson. Spread like wildfire on social media. (laughs) Yes, it had it had it. uh, It traveled around the world twice before the truth got its boots on. (laughs) Comey. Uh, Anyway, that's uh, those are our corrections. So thanks for pointing that out. And then I guess we can just get to the news with just the facts. All right. First, I know I know we're here because we're a Mueller podcast, but if you've been with us for a while, you know that I have to say something, and we have to say something when there's news that's too big to ignore, right? Mm-hmm. We had the DACA issue, we had the Muslim ban, we had the shithole country's comment, we had the Parkland shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, these are stories that will shape our history, and they're going to be standouts in, in the history books. And this week, our news cycle was uh, dominated, and rightfully so, by what's happening at the border. Well, uh, Donald, smart people... We can do two things at once sometimes, um, sometimes three. So we aren't going 
away just because you decided to incarcerate babies after ripping them away from their parents and then pretending to be a hero by saving them from your own policy, which, while it does keep families together, it attempts to remove the 20-day detention limit for children, effectively creating internment camps that cost us billions of dollars when these families could be in our communities working and paying taxes and buying goods and propping up the economy while strengthening our diversity. Um, We're on to you, Mr. Trump, and we're bringing the Mueller news no matter the fuck what. Uh, No matter what atrocities you come up with, and try to bury this story. We're doing the Mueller news. So. No matter the fuck what. <laughs> I love that. But I could not, and I would be remiss uh, if I did not mention how terrifying and sad and disgusting and autocratic and dictatorial what is happening at the border is. Mm-hmm. Right. right I mean, we've been saying for a while, people have been talking about fascism and and it's like well okay like we're a couple of steps in when are people going to acknowledge that just historically speaking we're already there we are seven steps in out of ten yeah you shared that yeah Yeah. we should put that in our newsletter i will it'll be in the newsletter he held a an event where they talked about the families that have been affected by criminal undocumented people that marched out every mm -hmm. single person who ever had somebody get uh, killed or or raped by uh, an immigrant an illegal immigrant that shouldn't have been here Um, and the statistics are clear Americans commit more crime than immigrants natural naturalized or Mm -hmm. natural born Americans commit way more crime and then he autographed the pictures of the dead loved ones. What the actual fuck? It's like, you know, when he did the paper towel throwing in Puerto Rico, I was like, how can this get any weirder? And, and he just... just he, every day, mm. he takes it to a new level. He yeah. signed... The, and then he said one of them looked like a, a handsome Tom Selleck. Like, first of all, Tom Selleck's pretty handsome, but... Uh, you know, in his heyday, but he mm-hmm. he's mentioning how good looking this lady's kid is. Yeah, the dead who is dead. Yeah, uh, and this is all hugely tragic. And I don't for one minute want to minimalize these people's experience. It's awful and it's horrible. But to mm-hmm. march them out in some sort of way to scare people, um, and basically say that uh, you know we need to protect our borders from Honduran toddlers, I guess, because mm-hmm. uh, they'll grow up to be MS thirteen and rape and kill us all. Yeah, is just ridiculous. the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And the womp womp comment. Oh God, yeah. When uh, the guy got Lewandowski. on, the guy got on um, one of the news channels and was talking about a ten year old um, girl with Down syndrome who was taken away mm-hmm. from her parents, mm-hmm. and Corin Lewandowski goes womp womp. It's so blatant. And he I mean, was how like, do you explain that? Excuse me? Excuse he me, lost sir? His mind, yeah. yeah, he was pissed, and I would be mm-hmm. pissed too. I just got goosebumps thinking about yeah. somebody saying that about another human being. Totally. But we already know how this administration feels about disabled people, so whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You guys are dicks. So I had to bring it up. I had to mention it because it's hugely important, but I also yeah. am not going to shy away from doing the Mueller news. That's what we're here for. And we aren't going, you can't stop us. <laughs> no. And also for the people that might be starting it, I don't think our listeners are, but people in the country that are getting fatigued a little bit by this investigation, this is the thing that's going to stop him mm-hmm. and, and stop him from doing all of these other atrocious acts. It's like, this is why this is so important. So I really hope people don't lose sight of that. This is our best shining hope of mm-hmm. getting him the fuck out. Yeah, totally. It is. And I don't know how well it's going to work, but uh, 2020 is, I think, the latest is, is Hindsight he's is. got. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, hmm. All right. Well, let's let's get to the news, you guys. Monday, uh, we learned Roger Stone has a Russian friend. My buddy. My buddy. My buddy. Everything that I know. 
this adds to the long, long list of meetings that Trump aides have had with Russians and then lied about. Jordan's going to give us more detail on this story later in the show. Indeed. Also Monday, the House Intelligence Committee released thousands of Russian Twitter ads, most of which were memes telling people they could vote for Hillary from home using hashtags or texting the word Hillary to a number. Oh, my God. These are all paid for by Russian state television, RT, and they were specifically aimed to disenfranchise voters. Uh, Mueller has reviewed these ads as part of his investigations into Russian interference in our elections to benefit Donald Trump. The House also released the Twitter accounts identified by Twitter as connected to the uh, Internet Research Agency in Russia. That's the troll farm. Ironically, uh, many of these tweets um, from these accounts question Russia's involvement in the election. Like, oh, if you think Russia meddled in our elections, you're stupid, rigged by the Democrats, etc. Mm-hmm. So here's hoping Mueller can find out who paid for that. Because I think he'll find ties to Cohen's slush fund. But... That's Mm. just conjecture. Put beans on it, whatever. (laughs) Uh, Cohen made all sorts of news this week. First, he hired a former um, Southern District of New York uh, prosecutor as his lawyer and counselor. Pundits believe that, and I believe, that this is indicative of his willingness to cooperate because this attorney is a specialist in that arena. He knows how the prosecutorial shit goes down in Southern District of New York, so he's going to know best how to cooperate. And later in the week, uh, Cohen slammed Trump on Twitter for the child separation and... He officially resigned from the RNC. I had no idea he was still part of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, whoa, uh, weird. Then we learned that the guy who runs the Inquirer, Pecker, remember? (laughs) He was subpoenaed in the Cohen case as well. Pecker! Pecker! His name is Pecker. Give me a... And we learned that Cohen and Pecker were in cahoots during, I can't even say it, <laughs> and Cohen and Pecker were in cahoots during the campaign, and, and, and Co- uh, Pecker was vetting all the stories through Cohen about Trump. But we kind of figured that much. And then Tom Arnold uh, went full Nunberg and made the rounds about his meeting with Cohen. And all this, uh, and I think Cohen is going to cooperate with this prosecution. Some of my sources say they believe Cohen's been cooperating since before the raid. Whoa. Damn. That would be fucking nuts. Put some beans on that, and we'll see what happens. Uh, We learned that last Friday, Strzok um, was escorted from the FBI building after he said he was willing to testify to the House Judiciary Committee. Strzok is one of the two lawyers that was working on the FBI investigation into Russia, Russian interference. Uh, He was having an extramarital affair with a lawyer who also worked there named Page, Lisa Page. Mm -hmm. And they had all the texts that were going back and forth Mm -hmm. that Nunes and Sessions released that said, you know, Trump is a douche and we got to stop him and all this other stuff. Um, the IG report <clears throat> was troubled um, by that, but said that none of his decisions were influenced by political bias in the investigation. So that that's cleared up. Um, but they were also concerned, Horowitz, the inspector general, was concerned that the FBI's month-long delay in obtaining a search warrant to review the Wiener laptop uh, was because of Strzok. I know, <laughs> peckers and wiener laptops. Subpoenas. All sorts of dicks. <laughs> this is what patriarchy looks like. Yeah, we gotta <laughs> smash it. And um, so the IG said that Strzok prioritized the Russia investigation over the wiener laptop, which I also would have done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think anyone would have done, probably. Um, because one was a counterintelligence investigation that's not publicly known, and one was not. So anyway... 
Wednesday, a judge in the Manafort case denied Manafort's motion to suppress the evidence Mueller got from the storage lockers. <laughs> so if you remember, we reported a while back that Manafort ac- accused Mueller of getting that evidence without cause, like he violated his Fourth Amendment or whatever. Well, the judge disagrees, and Manafort is still fucked, so... Thursday, we found out that the PADAG, the PADAG, the Principal Assistant Deputy Attorney General, <laughs> O'Callaghan is his name, and another DOJ official met with Mueller's team. Apparently, there are reporters who stake out Mueller's office, and they say that this is the first time they've seen these guys go in. Right? But when they asked the PADAG, he said, quote, we've been meeting every other week for a while. It's like, how are you getting in, bro? Because exactly. we've been staking out this door. <laughs> like, yeah, back so, entrance. That's a mystery. What they're meeting about, how long they've been meeting, why they're meeting. If it's a bi-weekly meeting, what's going on? Are we? Is it getting close? And you need to report all the shit that you're about to come out with. Because the PADAG basically is reports directly to Rosenstein. So it's kind of like meeting with Rosenstein himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Thursday, Ross Story put out a report that the Trump campaign data operation had actually stolen the Clinton emails more than a month before WikiLeaks published them. In a column from a British magazine called Spectator, a BBC correspondent named Paul Wood alleged that uh, Cambridge Analytica was in possession of Clinton's emails a month before Wiki was known to have them. He said that an American lawyer he knew um, at Cam Anna, Cambridge Analytica, had the emails saying, quote, an American lawyer, American lawyer I know told me that he was approached by Cambridge Analytica uh, after the election. They had had the Clinton emails more than a month before they were published by WikiLeaks. What should I do? And Paul Wood advised him to take it to Mueller. So he probably did. And I'm telling you this because it's being reported by a couple of sources. But it's, it's hearsay of hearsay. So I want to make clear that this information uh, hasn't been verified by us. But it was re- verified by Raw Story. Mm. Friday, Mueller filed a motion rebutting Manafort's ask to claim politics played a role in the decision to prosecute him and to keep the word collusion out of the trial. And the judge sided with Mueller. Additionally, Judge Jackson ruled that Mueller can move forward with prosecuting Manafort on money, money laundering charges because Manafort filed a motion to have that thrown out. That's the fourth time Manafort is trying to get charges dropped <laughs> and the fourth time he's been denied. Uh, lawyers for Manafort argued that the money laundering allegations were moot because the FARA violations, that's the Foreign Agency Registration Act, um, the FARA violations pertain to his failure to register, not his lobbying work. And Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, said, quote, federal laws expressly prohibit acting as a representative of, for- of a foreign entity without submitting the required notification to the attorney general. And for those reasons, the alleged international banking transactions could promote and Manafort could realize the proceeds from the FARA violation. Manafort would be the worst person to uh, have you know, like, to be hit on by. He'd just be like, how about now? No. How about now? He can't take a hint. No. He just keeps submitting no? motion. No. <laughs> like, fucking go away. Why? Why? Why are you back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just take no for the answer, bitch. No. He and Trump are like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah you have to literally lay the law on him. Yep. They hang out with peckers and also, yeah. Peckers and wieners. Peckers and wieners. <laughs> Cocks and dicks. LLC. Um, <laughs> then uh, our good buddy Gates filed a motion uh, to lose his ankle jewelry, mm. and the judge denied that. Nice. I have a photo of the decision in this week's newsletter if you're a patron. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash Mueller, she wrote. It's worth it. Also, Friday, Mueller filed a motion to sentence Papadopoulos on September 7th um, or October if the judge is busy. So, like, what's the judge doing in September? Mm. Interesting. What other cases are happening? 
I don't know. We'll see. It should be it should be pretty interesting at least. So yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like they typically don't include if you're not busy, unless there's some big stuff yeah. going on around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. No. Or at your earliest convenience is <laughs> usually not a thing. I I, I don't know. Maybe you know, maybe <laughs> maybe some of our lawyer friends can tell us. Uh, tweet at us at yeah. Mueller. She wrote and let us know what you think about that. I thought it was a weird entry. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys. That's the news. Damn. I know. Nice. Well, yeah. We'll be right back. Hello, best podcast fans in the world. This is AG from Muller She Wrote, and I just wanted to remind you about our live Q&A panel and meet and greet coming up this July 3rd at the world-famous Comedy Store in La Jolla. The next day is a holiday, so come out and spend your summer vacation with us. We still have some free VIP tickets to give away to new patrons. The VIP tickets get you access to the post-panel cocktail meet and greet, where you can hang out and have some wine with the host and the crew. So head to MullerSheWrote.com now to become a patron and get your free VIP tickets, or head to Eventbrite for your tickets. Or you can call 858-454-9176, and we'll see you July 3rd. All right, welcome back. Hot notes. All right, today's hot notes are good ones. Jordan is going to talk about a new, as of yet, unreported Russian contact with a Trump aide. We learned about this week, but first, Jalisa has an update for us on the Ukraine peace deal, right? Oh, yes. All right, Jalisa, hit it. All right, so we learned on Friday from McClatchy, D.C., that the peace plan for Ukraine and Russia that Cohen was supposed to deliver to Trump now seems to have much earlier origins and more authors than previously believed. So according to a former Ukrainian legislator, Andriy Artemenko, Artemenko. Artemenko, you got it. Yeah, yeah. The plan was initially drafted in early 2016 with a large amount of input from an ex-congressman and a Ukrainian-American billionaire. So Artemenko told McClatchy in several recent interviews that the pro-Moscow peace proposal began in February 2016 during discussions at a Ukraine-focused conference at Manor College in Philadelphia. He says that former Republican Congressman Kurt Weldon and New York real estate mogul Alexander Roft or Roft were heavily involved. Apparently, it was even called the Roft Weldon Plan, but for some reason, these guys didn't make it into the early reports. Neither their roles nor the fact that the plan was drafted nearly a year before it was given to Cohen for delivery made it into the initial reports. And what's so interesting about all this is that now these are two more of Trump's people who are tied to this proposal, along with Cohen, of course, Felix Sater, and Michael Flynn. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, not a good group of guys to be associated with. And for the record, the proposal would have lifted sanctions on Moscow if the Kremlin withdrew Russian forces from eastern Ukraine, but it could also have permitted Russia to keep control of Crimea, which, of course, it annexed in 2014. So very pro-Moscow plan. And Artemenko even said Weldon introduced him to, quote, high society in the U.S., including Congressman Dana Ro- Rohrabacher. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's high society or is he just high? <laughs> you know what? I don't even want to think he smokes. He's not cool enough. Yeah. High then- on children's tears. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's smoking that shitty Mechie. Yeah, yeah. A synthetic weed. Full of lumber. <laughs> I hope seeds. someone's selling him the wrong stuff. Just- I, hope, I hope he rolls his joints with a bunch of seeds and they just yeah. blow up in his face. <laughs> yeah. He's just smoking oregano all day like, oh, this is good stuff. Right? Dick. <laughs> also, GOP Senator Rob Portman of Ohio and Democratic Congresswoman Marcy Captor or Cap 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 is it Captor? Spell it. K A P T U R. Cap 
Captor. Captor. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Captor. Yeah, what really trips me is that this is a Democrat. I know not all Democrats are like progressive, but like this is one of those names that I want to remember because she she was associated with these guys and in, in this connection with Weldon and, and you know, Moscow and this plan. So Rora Barker is uh, even referred to as Putin's best friend in Washington. Yeah. So Weldon and Roft have uh, made... Or have the most history with Russia oligarchs or Russian oligarchs. In 2006, Weldon's daughter's office and home uh, were raided by the FBI for his actions to support a Russian-managed oil and gas company that gave his daughter a half-million-dollar contract to do public relations work. Yeah. And immediately after the contract was signed, he gathered 30 lawmakers for dinner to honor the chairman of a Russian company called Itera or Itera, I don't know if that, what's the Russian pronunciation of this, but it's an energy company. And uh, Weldon even intervened to help this company when federal agencies canceled a contract with them. And Weldon was never charged for any of this. So I guess, you know, they have experience in getting away with this kind of shit. So Roft made his fortune running fertilizer businesses in Russia, but sold most of his assets in 2007 to another Ukrainian oligarch, Dmitry Fertosh, who was a chief financier. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was Yeah, he's talked about a lot in the Russian roulette book we did. Mm-hmm. He worked for uh, Yankovic. Is that how you pronounce it? Yankovic? Uh, Yanukovych. Yanukovych. You're thinking of Weird Al. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thank you Dude, if Weird Al... I going to say, that sounds so much like Yanukovych. Exactly. I would support Weird Al Yankovic. We- weird Yanukovych. <laughs> weird Al Yanukovych. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's funny. That would be great. So many parodies need to be done yeah. under that name. So um, basically that pro-Russian political party with that guy was the same party that paid millions of dollars to Paul Manafort, who was, of course, Yanukovych's advisor before he became Trump's campaign chairman. Uh, Also, NBC reported that Roft was an investor with Spruce Capital, who gave a $3.5 million loan to one of Paul Manafort's companies right after he left the Trump campaign in 2016. So they're just, you know... Fill in his pockets no matter where he goes. I don't know. What if they're paying him in jail too? Like, what if we can find, like, Trace's, um, what do you call it? Their, um, their commissary. Their commissary. Yeah, that's a <laughs> Like they're buying him money. cigarettes or <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> I wouldn't believe it. Here's three toothbrushes, make shivs. <laughs> They've been helping him the whole time. I don't know. He's in like a suite, man. He's oh, I like, bet. Yeah. So Congressman Adam Schiff said in a statement that, quote, the fact that this proposal was being considered a year in advance of its provision to the White House raises serious questions about how far along the discussion had progressed and the extent to which Russia was involved in the planning or consideration of the proposal. So when the plan was first drafted in February 2017, the New York Times reported a provision that called for a referendum to be held in Ukraine after Russian troops withdrew on whether Crimea would be leased to Russia for 50 to 100 years. So, oh, it's a short lease. Yeah, you know, this is just... Some, I just signed a 100-year lease on my... really weird stuff here. On my car. So. <laughs> When's the last time I'm, uh, the United States even had any kind of hand in, like, leasing out a country? Like, that's this is just weird to me. That oh, I don't know. It could have been last week, man. I don't even know. Oh, good a, point. The, uh, who knows? Oh, my goodness. I was thinking Louisiana Purchase, but maybe... <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we bought, though. We didn't lease. You're right, you're right. We leased the people. <laughs> <laughs> Our landlord. <laughs> I feel like California somewhat leases Baja, but, you know... Oh, I believe it. A little different. Totally. The radio station... 
Sorry, um, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> local reference. Yeah, local yeah, reference. We, be... live, we live in San Diego, and in the middle of the night, Forever 91X would play the Mexican National Anthem <laughs> on the radio Yeah, at midnight. And <laughs> so they true. do. They have a bunch of political ads, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. And also tourism ads. I'll mm-hmm. come to Mexico, but never on Sunday. Because <laughs> it's, it's their, their day. It's oh, their crowded oh. church home family day. That's so they're like, come down, spend your money. Stay the fuck out on Sunday. We're busy. So you're telling me that it's going to be really cheap on Sunday, basically. <laughs> oh, no. There's just not going to be anybody there. They're oh, all, that makes they're sense. They're all, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. So just to wrap it all up, um, on June 8th, Artemenko testified for several hours before Washington, D.C. grand jury tied to the Mueller investigation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, meanwhile, he's also been ousted from Ukraine's legislature and also lost his citizenship due to the revelation of the plan and its perceived pro-Moscow tilt. So, as we know, the plan fizzled after the Times exposed it, along with the late January meeting in New York that Artemenko and Sater had with Cohen to persuade him to pass it along to a top administration official like Flynn. And both Artemenko and Sater told McClatchy that Cohen agreed to do so. So, after his grand jury appearance, Artemenko says he now realizes that Cohen, quote, is the target of interest to Mueller. Yeah. Which which is so obvious. But it's like just seeing everyone that's around him just cave like that it's just so satisfying it really is oh podcasts are back yeah oh they want to chime in on the hot notes he's really upset about the ukraine peace plan <laughs> oh understandably so this yeah. is an outrage meow he was telling me yesterday about the two-state solution um oh wow in in the middle east so you know he's he's into it fascinating he's very into it um, <laughs> i wonder if he's gonna keep you know what i don't care um I think most of our listeners are cat friendly. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. going to be like, that's it. I'm taking all my money back. I hate yeah. you guys. <laughs> Cats are dumb. Um, it's affecting us all, this investigation. Definitely. Oh, my God. Bruce Willis is very upset. <laughs> my other cat is Bruce Willis. Oh, 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 oh. it's not Bruce Willis. I, no, that's, they got that's, closer. That's boobs. Um, <laughs> that's bitch tits. Oh, I just have to start body shaving the cat. And now, now he stopped oh, no. meowing. Aww. <laughs> Oh, nope. Still here. Would you, uh, I don't know. You mean to put him down? Put him down? I'll, like, put him away. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Put him, put him somewhere. I know you're, like, a guilty until proven and innocent person. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. I know. I'm, I love cats. <clears throat> um, all right. Thank you so much, Jaleesa. That's good reporting. Of course. Appreciate thank it. you. All right, Jordan, what do you have for us today? Uh, so I got stuff on Roger Stone. Oh. And Caputo, uh, Michael Caputo. So these two guys worked for the Trump campaign um, and have extensive ties to to Russia. And uh, another meeting has popped up that they have otherwise said didn't happen or they didn't remember happening. They of course, remembered it. They missed. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they, they either said uh, when testifying in front of the House, they either said they did not remember or they yeah they could not recall. Classic. So. Uh, It's come out that one day late May 2016, Roger Stone went into a meeting with somebody that goes by the name of Henry Greenberg, uh, who is a Russian that has lived in the U.S. sometimes and goes back to Moscow to live his high life at other times. And I'm just going to set the stage for you, just the image that's described here in this reporting by the Washington Post. Roger Stone gets in his uh, Jaguar, of course, and goes to meet this guy. And he's sitting there. It's probably like a 1993 Jaguar, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like he picked it up on Craigslist. Yeah, because yeah. no one that knows Trump is actually rich, I don't I don't think. I think that's that's and what we're learning here. And there's nothing wrong with having a 93 Jag. I, I've got some good friends who have, I have one good friend who has one. <laughs> yeah. 
but um, you know, it's just anyway. Uh, I don't think he would drop half a million dollars on a car. Yeah, uh, he's too busy dropping it on those sick tattoos, bro, on his back. Oh, snap. <laughs> what up, Nixon, Nixon in the house? <laughs> Uh, but so he, so he goes and he meets this guy. He meets Greenberg. He uh, it's in Florida, and he has this restaurant. He's trying to unsuccessfully open and solicit money for it sure, somehow. But, <laughs> but that's conjecture. I'm just kidding. But uh, but he goes to meet him at this restaurant, and he's sitting there. Greenberg sitting there wearing not only a Make America Great Again hat, but also a Make America Great Again shirt. <laughs> oh wow! Oh. I don't know if you're aware of this gutter, but there actually was music recorded before 1989. What is this? You're going to wear this to the show. You're going to wear the shirt of the band you're going to go see. Don't be that guy. So he meets meets up with this guy, and basically what he does is he offers damaging information to the Trump campaign about Hillary Clinton, blah, blah, blah. We all know this story. It's happened many times. Uh, Stop me if you've heard this one. (laughs) Yeah. And he, uh, he offers it, and he offers it for $2 million. And, uh, of course, Stone's like, nope, Donald Trump doesn't pay for anything. He's not going to pay for this. So they walk away from the meeting. He doesn't get any information. No money transaction happens. Then he gets a text message from Michael Caputo. And uh, he says, this is on May 29, 2016. WAPO has a screenshot of the text. It says, uh, how crazy is the Russian? And Roger Stone says, wants big money for the info. Waste of time. Mike Caputo says, the Russian way. Anything at all interesting? Which is a weird way to phrase a sentence. <laughs> and Roger Stone says, no. Hmm. And so... Now, isn't that what Giuliani was going around saying? That, oh, it doesn't matter because they didn't get anything. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's what it's what everyone's saying, right? It's what DTJ also mm-hmm. said about his potential contacts that he lied about at first and said he didn't mm-hmm. have, and then it comes out. As, yeah, they're saying, well, they came to them and offered them stuff, and my guy said no. So... Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and so now, uh, two years after that meeting happened, this is resurfacing because it's being corroborated as having actually happened, and Stone and Caputo are now forced, their hand has been forced, and there's so much proof that they have to admit that it happened, and now they're being accused by Democrats on the House Intelligence uh, Committee, obviously, of lying through their teeth. So Swalwell and Adam Schiff, the people who I truly find attractive in this investigation. Let's just get that straight. Not Nunes? Not Nunes. Okay. Oh, fuck no. Come okay. on. I was just checking. Yeah. A girl can change. You guys have been together for a while. <laughs> it's a toxic relationship. It is. It's very, yeah, it's very toxic. Uh, but but they're getting called out now by House Dem saying that you you lied. You lied through our through your teeth to us. And uh, I think that's... Uh, I, can, I don't think you can lie to, to Congress. I think that's a, that's a law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. This mm-hmm. yeah, this isn't just a hey you lied. This is a hey you, you lied. lied now Congress. good job opening up another investigation into your conduct. Right, like you, it's just going to keep going. Absolutely, yeah. So um, at the meeting though, Henry Greenberg, who this okay, this is very interesting. Fa- so he's an interesting guy. He sometimes <laughs> goes by the name Henry Oknansky. Oknyansky? I don't know. Uh, O-K-N-Y. No fucking vowels. What monsters? Just a bunch of consonants stringed together. (laughs) I never trust a man without vowels. (laughs) (laughs) Oknyansky. But... uh, Oh, we're terrible. We are. We are. Um, I apologize to our Russian These are just jokes about letters, not about Russians. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
all jokes. We're comedians. Anyway, <laughs> so this guy goes by, um, at different times, he's gone by different names. And basically, he's a wealthy guy in Russia that's very well connected, as it seems all of the celebrity-esque like oligarchs are over there. Um, but he also has enough ties to criminals that he has acted as an FBI informant to the FBI for um, a significant amount of time, actually, at different points in time. And is that why people are uh, on the right are saying yes. that they were set up? So this is another opportunity for Stone uh, to say, okay, well, fuck you all you guys. I was set up, and I believe that wholeheartedly this was an FBI attempt to infiltrate our campaign with this guy. Uh, to which this guy said, nope, absolutely not. I acted completely independently. I haven't provided information to the FBI for years. And yeah, I think since 2013 was mm-hmm. the last time he provided, he acted as an informant. Yeah, I, uh, WAPO reported, I think, it was between 2008 and like 2012 that he was doing a significant amount of informant work for them, basically. Would it be bad if he was planted? That would be bad, right? Uh, that'd be really yeah, they'd they'd be lied awful. about it. If they were honest about it, would that be different? The are, FBI? Yeah, are they allowed? They, they don't allowed? have to tell you shit. Okay. They're the FBI. And they already said they didn't. Uh, and, and they wouldn't... They didn't re- respond to a request for comment. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. And, and they're not going to. And I, they didn't. Uh, I'm pretty sure they didn't. Yeah, I'm leaning towards that, and too. I'm just wondering, like, what how strong of a case it even is for them. Like, for They would the, have to have proof. And even then, I'm, I'm just... Yeah, I, I wonder... Yeah, this guy strikes me as... Okay, you know, I forget what Star Wars movie it is. I apologize. <laughs> it's uh, our our Rogue Wars podcast fans would, would be... Oh, yeah, they'll be they they probably screaming Rogue Wars them. podcast. What, yeah, what are they? You're going to be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's Rogue oh. One, but... Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Star I Wars. Thought, I thought they had, like, hashtag Rogue Wars or something. Whatever. Anyways. Oh, okay. Oh, I Anyways, I the, it was, like, the other cute. MSW, <laughs> yeah, the Star Wars people would know. But there, there's a character in... In that movie, who is basically just an arms dealer that has no loyalty to anybody. Right. And chaotic evil. Yes. No. And he just has loyalty to the people that are going to, you know, the highest bidder. That's yeah. kind of what this guy strikes me as. Mm. Exactly. And so, Trump, too. <laughs> yeah. Except he's also just a complete idiot. At least people yeah. like this know how to dress right. up for the chaotic occasion. neutral. True. There you go. Yeah. Not evil. Oh, no problem. I thought you just made that up. Neutral anyway. has no. Oh, oh no. There are nine specific dungeons and dragons uh categories Ooh. like 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 entj and i didn't know that's stuff. what i, I did not I, know this for game yeah <laughs> but for like dorks so uh which is me by the way i'm not i'm with you mm-hmm. uh yeah so there's like um anyway it's there's nine of them uh there's good evil and neutral and then chaotic and lawful ah. and um Interesting. Something else. And, then, and they make nine things. Okay. I've seen those. I didn't know it was a Dungeons and Dragons reference. I thought it was mm-hmm. like a bingo card or something. <laughs> You're adorable. No, uh, that's D&D. Okay. Cool. Well, that's, yeah. Chaotic neutral. I, that, that sounds like it applies to Get your to Mountain Dew code red. Yeah. <laughs> and join us next week. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be in the red with five Yeah, hours. that is kind of <laughs> it. Like that, that, you know, totally not on anyone's side. Just there to make the most money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know anything about the nature of what he was providing information to the FBI for over the course of those years. They listed everything from child trafficking to money laundering. So just a crime syndicate, I imagine, that he had information on and was helping to provide. And Jaleesa, Um, I don't think if the FBI actually sent him in, they aren't going to use 
this in their investigation. Right. So it wouldn't be used to prosecute them. That makes um, sense, yeah. So yeah. it's not even, I mean, first of all, I, I, I'm 99.9% sure that this was not a setup. Right, right. I'm with um, you on that. Because there are 27 other me- meetings that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. took place. Yeah. Uh, the, even if this one was, right. it's like, yeah, it doesn't even matter, right? Like, and there I were think... back channels set up. And, and Yeah. Stone was already talking to WikiLeaks at this point <clears throat> about getting the transcripts from them before they mm-hmm. even released them to the public. So. Yeah. It's just a distraction for them yeah i don't i don't know i mean it's also like if they really thought that he was an informant and that was a red flag to them wouldn't they have come out of the gates saying that from the beginning or something right and not i mean because but they can't because they were for sure engaging in those sketchy conversations on other levels and that would have opened up and more of an investigation into that at that point in time if you're a normal law-abiding citizen and somebody from russia comes and offers you money for stuff or offers you stuff for money you go to the cops you go to the exactly. FBI. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what everyone always does. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't, and then you lie about it, well, this doesn't look good too. Doesn't look good at all. It does not. No. So and, and um, so an interesting element to this conversation that happened as well is that Greenberg brought a Ukrainian guy with him who he only identified as Alexei, just one name, uh, <laughs> no second name. <laughs> uh, his story was that uh, supposedly he had been fired from the Clinton Foundation. Uh, which, as we know, is a global charitable organization founded by Hillary Clinton's husband. And uh, I guess the the motivation for him giving dirt would be that he's upset at the foundation for firing him. And Greenberg brought this guy uh, <laughs> all fired up and ready to go. I hate to use Obama's slogan for that. <laughs> but, uh, but basically... This is a big old nunburger in terms of it being a coordinated effort on behalf of the FBI. Uh, they're too smart to do that. There's no way that they would do that. Like you said, AG, they won't be able to use any of the evidence they obtained if they unlawfully sent in an informant without any sort of like formal investigation. The investigation didn't open up for another couple months after this even occurred. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I'm not worried. But... The only thing is this guy is just kind of a sketchy, interesting character, I guess, that... He's weird. He's he's very strange, yeah. He's been been sentenced, or not sentenced, uh, just charged like $2.7 million in a case of some money laundering or something in Russia, and I forget here. I know know what it is. Let me get you the the exact happenings. Uh, He was arrested in 2002 and charged with a decade-old $2.7 million fraud. Uh, the Moscow Times reported that authorities found three passports with false names in his apartment and photographs that appeared to show him posing with movie director Steven Spielberg and Oliver Stone. So what he's just a weird hell? guy. Yeah, he's just a really he's just a really weird guy. He's had contacts with many of the names that we've been hearing throughout this investigation. Uh, so to me, it seems like this meeting was just another bait that Roger Stone and the Trump campaign took and then I guess it didn't turn out to be fruitful because they had to pay for the information so (laughs) they left lied about it so they never did it never had the meeting and now it's come out that they have and they're gonna have to answer to that yeah lied to Congress typical move it's crazy very typical Caputo's also a fucking weird horrible person yeah Mm -hmm. he made the rounds on the news cycle and it was it was he yeah Mm. yeah he (laughs) worked he worked for Boris Yeltsin yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. he did. What is up with? I don't. I don't even. Understand. I don't. I just didn't know that people had such strong ties. I feel so 
out of the loop. I yeah. just, I didn't hear. I'm like, people have been sowing seeds of corruption with Russia for decades and decades, and I just, uh, I'm so naive. Yeah. I feel so swindled. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, <laughs> that was that. Thank you for the uh, Nixon back tattoo. Yeah update <laughs> god he's so weird he's he weird and he wears his little glasses he wears those <laughs> like pinstripe jackets blazers with like t-shirts underneath and he smokes cigars and drives old jaguars he's weird <laughs> he's just a weird dude and he gets drunk and makes instagram videos yeah he seems like he should be a villain in one of those like stop motion claymation films, you know, oh, like, like the Rudolph the Red. He, like he should be, the, totally. he should play the Jack Frost, the evil, oh yeah, villain guy or something. Good call. Mainly because nah, the, the jacket, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys, I'm gonna uh, go into my hot note here. Last week we talked extensively about the Inspector General report. We even did a whole bonus episode on it. Um, it was the report that came out about the handling of the Hillary email investigation leading up to the 2016 election. Horowitz, that's the inspector general, he mentioned the New York field office in the report briefly, but we posited that there would be an entire separate report um, if there's not already a criminal investigation into what happened in the New York field office uh, for the FBI in September. Um, the IG report partly blamed Strzok for prioritizing the Russia investigation over the Wiener laptop investigation though they found his decisions were not politically motivated, as I said at the top of the show. We found out Monday uh, through media sources that the Justice Inspector General is going to issue a separate report on the FBI leaks to the Trump campaign in October and that Nunes was involved. <laughs> Another reason to vote for Andrew Jans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found out a few things over the course of this week. Um, and big, big ups to uh, Seth Abramson for tweeting all of this out uh, for us in multiple threads. Uh, check out his Twitter feed, <clears throat> at Seth Abramson. Uh, we learned that Giuliani was interviewed by the FBI a couple weeks ago. And that is huge, because he's been lying about having advanced knowledge of the Wiener laptop. <laughs> Saying that he was talking about when he was uh, he was talking about a new ad campaign when he went on Fox in October and said he knew about the big October surprise that was coming out and teased it for everyone. Exactly. Yeah, he said he was talking about a new ad campaign, and then he also walked back his comment that he'd spoken to current FBI agents, as he stated in his Fox appearance, because that would be a crime. <laughs> um, the fact that he was interviewed by the FBI a few weeks back proves that he lied to cover up these leaks. And that's why he had changed the story. That's why he's been walking it back. The new report out this week says Giuliani told, uh, it's not an IG report, it's just a news report, um, says that Giuliani told the FBI agents in, in his interview a couple of weeks ago that he was speculating that the New York field office agents were so pissed about Comey's decision not to charge Clinton that they were going to revolt by leaking damaging information about her or resigning. And we also learned, which is what we've been saying, and we also learned that the name of one of the agents he spoke to is James Calstrom, the former boss of True Pundit. Uh, True Pundit is an online fake news peddler that first published the leaked intel, but the Giuliani is not giving the name of the second agent, suggesting that the second agent is the active agent he mentioned in the Fox appearance, because Calstrom is retired. It's also clear that Trump wasn't just watching this unfold, um, but was offering active assistance to the rogue pro-Trump FBI agents in getting their story to Devin Nunes, Prior to the election, um, with the help of none other than Joe DeGeneva. You guys remember this guy? Mm-hmm. The weird lawyer guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that name is yeah, don't forget hard that to forget. Yeah. Yeah. DeGeneva made a public offer that he would represent any FBI agent that would testify against Comey for not indicting Hillary. 
And it's believed to be he's believed to be the intermediary between pro-Trump FBI agents and the news site, The Daily Caller, um, because they reported some agents were pissed that Comey didn't indict Hillary. And they reported that the day after DeGeneva made his offer to represent the agents. Coincidence? Um, Not to mention, it was reported by The Daily Caller that DeGeneva said more uh, more FBI agents would be coming forward about Clinton. And in an October 28th interview... DeGeneva said, quote, the agents came to me, or excuse me, the agents came to Comey yesterday, which was October 27th, and told him about the new evidence. And Comey said, oh, shit. And he knew the agents who were running the Wiener case would leak it. Unquote. So that's October 27th. That's pretty much a couple of days ahead of when Comey came out reopening the investigation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, they had had the laptop since late September maybe early October. And we have proof of that because of the Comey and McCabe emails that came out. McCabe told Comey about it in, in uh, at least about a month before. And apparently they were sitting on it to wait till the election was over <clears throat> because, and it, they were prioritizing the Russia investigation, mm-hmm. apparently according to the IG report. And then on October 27th, DeGeneva said that these agents came to Comey and said, we're going to leak this shit. And so, that happened. <laughs> so that this is why I feel so strongly about the fact that these FBI potential threats of, of pro-Trump rogue FBI agents right before Comey went and, and reopened, sent his letter to Congress to reopen the Wiener laptop thing or open the Wiener laptop thing, and reopen the Hillary investigation. It was because if he didn't, they were gonna and they would have been much less kind. Exactly. It would have been way worse. He was stuck between a rock and a hard place. We talk about it a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this, he, you know, this all backs up our assertion that, that Comey handing the election to Trump by reopening the Clinton investigation was at least partly caused by the, the threat of leaks from these rogue agents in New York. And don't forget that Flynn amplified the true pundit leak and was likely involved. And as uh, Scott Stedman told us last week, Eric Prince um, had his hands in this. He had advanced knowledge of the Wiener laptop and that because he told Breitbart about it. There's a story, public story about it. And Trump gave Calstrom, this is new, over a million dollars, I think $1.2 million <laughs> during the campaign. So Trump's team may have conspired to leak this classified info and pay these FBI agents to do so, which is what ultimately pushed Comey to spill the beans and reopen the investigation to get out ahead of it. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. And you'll hear, um, we're going to talk to Dan Pfeiffer from Pod Save America in in an upcoming segment, and you'll hear him talk about Comey a little bit. Uh, But I think that the the Comey questions are actually going to be in the um, full interview that we're going to post as a bonus um, episode for patrons. So check that out. But yeah, he's, he's basically saying, yeah, Comey probably handed the election to Trump and he's an egomaniacal <laughs> guy. Like he's so up on himself, but he was in a, a tough spot. So totally. Anyway, those are hot notes. So stick with us. We've got Dan Pfeiffer from Pod Save America after the break. Thanks for listening to Muller She Wrote. The she in Muller She Wrote is no accident. Did you know we are 100% women-owned and operated? Every single person that helps make this podcast possible identifies as a woman. Our creative and web design, our engineer and producers, our editors and digital media manager, our agent, our ad execs, our merchandising manager, and even the postal service clerk that helps me with shipping in our P.O. box. All women and all LGBTQ plus allies. We will continue to employ and partner with women as our podcast grows, but we could use your help. Please support women in podcasting by visiting MullerSheWrote.com and become a patron today. 
All right, welcome back. It's time for the Fantasy Indictment League. Today is my favorite so far because I've been wanting to cross the streams with Pod Save America for a long time now. <laughs> so, Julissa, <laughs> go ahead and roll the awesomeness. Oh, yeah. With us today is Dan Pfeiffer. He's the co-host of Pod Save America and contributor to CNN. He's the former White House Director of Communications and Senior Advisor to President Obama. How are you doing, Dan? I'm great. Awesome. I'm so happy that you're here. I want to thank you for agreeing to appear on our pod. Um, I have an... I have an inkling about how important you view podcasting as a political platform because I just chewed through your book last night. Um, Oh, great. Thank you. And it's out now. It came out June 19th. It's called Yes, We Still Can, still in parentheses, Politics in the Age of Obama, Twitter, and Trump. And first, I want to say it was an excellent book, excellent read. Oh, thank you. It makes me happy every time anyone says that. Since Most of the things I've written since I left the White House three years ago have been sub-280 characters, so this is this a real lark for me. Yeah, it's got to be different from going going from tweets to a book. But And I, you're also really funny. I noticed that you kind of use your footnotes like punchlines, like little tweets here and there. Yeah, this was, this was actually an idea of my wife, who uh, I think who's a very good editor. Uh, she works in the White House with me and communications as well. And she read the first chapter I wrote and thought I needed to punch it up. So uh, she came up with a footnote idea, which I very much enjoyed because it was sort of like my it was like the devil on my shoulder who could say the things that it was sort of like the voice that didn't fit in the the book part it could be like a little snarky or a little funnier. So it was it was good for me at least. I hope people enjoyed it. I did. I really liked it. I've never seen him use like that before. So kudos to your wife, Havley, right? Yep. Yeah. She sounds really amazing the way you describe her in the book. So uh, I wanted to touch on a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I want to, it's important to note that the proceeds of pre-sales go to Swing Left, which is a grassroots network in swing districts to flip Congress. And we want to thank you for doing that. Mueller, she wrote, also donates to similar causes because of something you touch on in your book, which which is that crooked media and podcasting are actually formidable weapons in the battle against Fox News. And you say, quote, come for the witty banter, stay for the activism. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that philosophy. Sure. So what something I, I write about this in the book, and over the course of time, the media landscape changed dramatically. You know, like we Twitter came into age, Facebook reached its tipping point, we became the source of news for people. Um, the iPhone was invented, all these things that happened under Barack Obama's presidency. But one thing that we didn't really appreciate as it was happening was the right wing was building up these aggressive, digital-first media outlets, which originally really functioned as you know, sort of adjuncts of the Republican National Committee, or, but they're really propaganda organs. And what they were doing was end-running the mainstream media and sort of gigging Facebook, the Facebook algorithm to create this content that went viral all the time and was shaping the conversation on social media and in politics in ways that were deeply damaging to Democrats. And we felt this starting to feel this in the White House in 2014, and it was a real presence in 2016. And so of all the things that keep me up at night about how Republicans can keep us from winning these upcoming elections, Koch brothers' billions, Russian hacking, voter suppression laws, the one that I think about a lot is this media advantage they have. And so... That's why we have Pod Save America. That's why my co-hosts, uh, John Lovett, John Favreau, and Tommy Vitor, started a media company to build on this. It's why we need 
more Ponte of Americas, more Mueller she roads, more ways for Democrats, because basically we have right-wing propaganda and down-the-middle objective news, and there's not a lot on the left that isn't just, that is trying to, that is trying to channel an audience into activism and to explain, explain what's happening and tell them what they can do about it. That's what we try to do, and that's why uh, I think we need, like, may a thousand flowers bloom here, and so I hope we get a lot of really smart, clever podcasts and other media entities, uh, you know, like Mueller, she wrote, out there who are helping explain the unexplainable in the Trump era. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate those kind words. Um, and I, I remember, that just speaking of Mueller a little bit here, I remember you wrote in your book that uh, too much of political coverage now has become like a glorified sports coverage like ESPN and in this arena yep. of, of information fatigue and immediate gratification what do you make of the Mueller investigation and those that wish he would hurry it along because it's been a year and, and whatnot what would it, what are your thoughts on that I think that people who wish the people wanted to hurry along for two reasons there are those of us like myself who would like to see justice done for what we believe to be crimes of many sorts that were committed we'd like to see that done sooner rather than later and then you have the people like Rudy Giuliani, Rush, uh, Trump, I almost called President Trump Rush Limbaugh, so what's the difference? <laughs> Either one. Um, <laughs> President Rush Limbaugh, uh, who wanted, who wanted to put political pressure to end it before they find, so we want, Democrats want him to find something as soon as possible, and Republicans want, uh, want him to end it as soon as possible so that he doesn't, before he finds anything. And what I think is interesting about the press coverage of it is that it is Russia all the time. We, we are we are operating on the crazy things Rudy Giuliani says late at night on Fox. You know, real quality, serious reporting from uh, mainstream news outlets. You know, grand jury witnesses or targets who walk out and talk to the press about what they heard. Trump's lawyers that leak like sieves, and there's all this news. And I can't fault the press for covering this story. I can't. Even if it, even if we are, we're, we sort of lost the forest for the trees, or even for the leaves. And, but if Trump's campaign colluded with the Russians to steal this election, it is the greatest political scandal in certainly American history and maybe world history. And so it should be covered. The thing that I try to urge Democrats to do is pay attention to it, be prepared to have conversations for it, but recognize that it may not be. The only, but we may. But we also have to talk about other issues that we're going to win the election. So, people sort of have to like take it in, but don't get consumed about it, and don't think that Bob Mueller is going to solve our problem before uh, November of 2018. If we if we want to change Congress, we're going to have to do it. Uh, we're not, we can't rely on something. We can't we can't wait on Bob Mueller to do it. Yeah, concur 100. percent I've been pushing that pretty hard on the pod. Um, even even people who are super steeped in the Mueller investigation, the, the best I can tell them is that you're not going to get a, a reopening of the Mueller investigation in the House Intelligence Committee unless we flip Congress, and that doesn't start till next January. So, that's right. You know, and we don't know what Mueller knows, right? That's the other thing. That's exactly. the, like we have all this coverage, like thousands of reporters working 24 hours a day to dig it up, one gazillion tweets written about this. And then, thing, then Bob Mueller just does something, and we had no clue. And so that's the other thing we have to all have, and you have to do a great job of talking about this, is we, have, we should all have humility about what's happening, because we just have no idea, because Bob Mueller runs a tight ship. And so yeah. the things we know are usually coming from the perspective of the people who are on the other side of the table from Bob Mueller. And so 
there is there is this sort of humility to it that's important. Is that Mueller can have, you know, all the goods. He, you know, like that was also interesting in the Michael Cohen thing, which I know everyone's talked about, but is that Mueller was digging into this stuff months before it all spilled out when Michael Avenatti put out those financial documents. And so, like, he, he would, like, the, we were all obsessed with the, with the Cohen story in, you know, May or whatever that was, but Bob Mueller was digging into it in November. So yeah. that, is, that is the other part of this that's important to remember. Yeah, and as we go through, I mean, my entire podcast is dedicated to, to Mueller news and the Mueller investigation, and, and it's it's something that's at the forefront of, of everything we talk about, is that what we talk about is 0.001% of what is going on. Uh, right. And we're always, like you said, five, four to six months late on news that, <laughs> that's happening in the Mueller investigation. So, yeah, I think patience is a virtue. And I, I know you're not, I believe you mentioned in the book that you you are not a politics predictor, but you did mention that some of the traits you say our next successful Democratic candidate will need is it needs to be somebody who's funny, someone confident, someone who's not afraid to lose, and someone who knows how to use Twitter. Can you, who, who fits that bill? Is there anyone out there now that, that fits that bill? I'm not asking you to pick one person, but just maybe a handful of people that you think would be the best fit for those? Yeah. I mean, well, let me first think about this by saying, based on what I can tell, I don't know, no one has told me they're running for president. No one has told me they're not running for president. So I'm basing all of this on rumor mill and things I'll read in the paper. And it seems like a hundred Democrats are going to run. And I think that's great. I think we should, everyone should run. I think we should have a seven tier debate stage where we have all these candidates. I think that's good because our party needs to figure a lot of things out. And the best way to figure these things out is a big debate, a debate on message, a debate on strategy, and a debate on policy issues, right? Right. And it would be mis- – like I don't think political pundits or establishment types or podcasters like myself should like lay hands on one person and say, we've done the analysis and this is the person best fit to beat Trump. Because we've done that in the past and that, has, that never works. So like right. the voters are smarter than the rest of us. I think there are – it is impossible yet to know – who are the best candidates because they haven't started running. And I think there are really interesting candidates of who with really big names and much lesser known people who, you know, may go out there and make their case. Like Kamala Harris is my home state senator. I see her a lot. I think she's very impressive. Deval Patrick, who may not run, but he was the governor of Massachusetts. We worked very closely with him in the Obama White House. I think he's a superstar. Um, Julian Castro, who was our HUD secretary, is great. Kirsten Gillibrand, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, my old friend uh, Joe Biden. Like, everyone's going to bring something different to the table. And what is interesting is no one's going to be great at all the things I lay out. So it's, And we're not going to really know which of those will be of the most value until the race starts running. Because I always tell people, back in 2005, after John Kerry lost, Every conventional wisdom Democrat, of which I was one, thought here the best way to win the presidency is we need to elect, we need to nominate a white male. We didn't even really contemplate anyone other than a white male, frankly, with the exception of Hillary Clinton. It was just like, but it was like a moderate Democrat from a red state, you know, someone who could win moderates, who get those swing voters. And so I went to work for Evan Bayh, who was a moderate senator from Indiana, former governor. Mark Warner, the um, the now senator, was then a very popular governor of Virginia, was really hot on everyone's list. And so that that was the thing. It was like, how can can we find a Democratic governor for a red, or Democrat from a red state? And then 
two years later, we nominated Barack Hussein Obama from the south side of Chicago, who was running as an Iraq War opponent, who was incredibly liberal, who then went on to win a large percentage of the vote of any Democrat since Johnson. And so it was... Uh, so in that vein, like we just don't like you don't. I view elections as a as a, mat, as a um, the marriage between the person and the moment. Yeah. And you don't know. We don't know what the moment is yet. Yeah. Barack Obama was the perfect candidate for his moment because people were looking, were cynical after the Bush years. They're looking to be inspired, and they were angry about the Iraq War. So here you have, and they were angry at Washington. So Barack Obama was from outside of Washington. He was the he had opponent of the Iraq War, and he was inspirational. And so he was the perfect person for that moment. We don't just know, like, if we take the House, Democrats will think about the election one way. If we lose the House and we don't take the House, we'll think about it a different way. If, uh, if Trump fires Mueller, we may think about it one way. And if Trump doesn't fire Mueller in the election, so proceeding on anything about a different way. So I think the, the big thing is, uh, is we should just, like, let the market play it out. And by the market, I mean the voters. And people, you'll see, like, once people start showing up in Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada, and South Carolina and making their case, then uh, you'll really know what their chops are. You can't really get a great sense from even their appearances on Pot Safe America. That's a good clue, but it <laughs> doesn't tell you everything yet. Well, yeah, and you talked about that, too, about how you got the job for Obama and you were on Bi's campaign. And and, yeah. and it was just kind of like, what, who? And then, bam, you went over there. So it's interesting. Yeah, I was ready. Uh, you, yeah, I was ready to quit politics. I was pretty close. Bi was going to run. Uh, I was going to work for him. I liked him a lot. He was a very good person, very, very good person. And I think he wanted to do the job for the right reasons. I wasn't, I was much more liberal than he was, um, and it wasn't a perfect fit for me, but I was loyal to him because he had been loyal to me, and then he decided not to run at the last minute, and I was sort of just like, man, I am sick of politics. I just, I've been in politics for 10 years at that point, and we had lost everything, and it just yeah. didn't feel, I didn't feel, I felt like I had joined at the wrong decade, right? <laughs> like, and, and I thought... Just like all the all the conventional strategies that I that had been drummed into my head by everyone over ten years, just like weren't working and they were inspirational. And by sort of a fluke, uh, I got a chance to meet Barack Obama right as he was thinking about running for president, and walked into a meeting with him for an hour. It was essentially a job interview. I was kind of skeptical. I I was very impressed with him based on what I knew, but I never met him before, and. Uh, and just, you know, they, you know, they say, like, don't meet your heroes. That's, like, very true with politicians sometimes, where they're just not as great as they may seem. And then I met Obama, and I, I walked into his office around 11. I walked out before noon uh, with a new job without any concept of what my exact title was, what my salary was going to be, or when I was going to have to move to Chicago. So it was uh, <laughs> a sort of I, I fell in, I fell in a platonic political love, if you will. Well, that quote that you have in your book, that thing he said to you, um, I wanted to go to work. I want to get a time machine, go back and go to work for the guy. Uh, yeah. What did he say? Put your, have you ever had a chance to put your shoulder against the wheel of history and push or something? Yep. Yep. And yep. that was what was interesting about that meeting was he, in this meeting, like he's a long shot presidential candidate, right? He been in the Senate less than two years at this point, uh, running against Hillary Clinton and John Edwards, who, he, who now is a sort of a figure of infamy and notoriety in our politics, but at the time was the very charismatic, very talented former vice presidential nominee who was seen as perhaps the most electable of all the Democratic candidates. Yeah. And, and so it was sort of a lark. And I had met with a bunch of presidential candidates in my life, which people tried to run for office, and all of them 
trying to convince you to work for them by telling you how they're going to win. Yeah. You know, especially even in the face of poll numbers that would suggest otherwise. Like, here's our strategy. We have these endorsements coming. Uh, you know, our, we did this poll that shows this. And at no point in my meeting with Obama did he ever try to convince me that he was going to win or tell me how. He just talked to me about why he wanted to run and what he wanted to do if he won. Yeah. And that was so unique to me that uh, maybe I'm a sucker, but I, I fell for it. <laughs> I did, too. <laughs> I think he, and I was really touched um, by Obama's optimism um, in 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 some of the quotes in your book. I think in the in his last interview uh, as president was with Podsave, and yeah. he said he was really um, he was very optimistic. He was talking about his thoughts about his long term legacy with the young people, and and I was wondering if you could talk about that for a minute, how that felt. Yeah, he um, is Obama is by nature a hopeful person. And whenever things are the dark, wherever things are in the darkest on the campaign or the White House, we, where we have, like we lost a, a, a primary election or we got our ass kicked to us in the midterms or something we cared about got overturned by the Supreme Court or we lost in Congress. And he would always be at his most hopeful then. And, you know, people forget that his very famous Yes We Can speech didn't happen after he won an election. It happened after we lost, shockingly lost the New Hampshire primary to Hillary Clinton. So that was like his most optimistic speech of what he's most famous for came after a loss. And I never really understood, like, that was just like, the, he's an internal optimist, but I also think he sometimes carried the burden of being the hope guy, and so he wanted to be hopeful. But he, he, he always looks at this over the long arc of history. And both in that interview and then in a meeting uh, or an encounter he and I had after the election, he said uh, he thought about this as, a, if you could find a silver lining in this very dark cloud, it is that we will be able to finally show, in true contrast to American people, two very different visions. It's incumbent upon all of us, Obama, ourselves, politicians, podcasters, everyone, to make sure people see that difference. And, but what he also says is like, it's not... I'm sure Obama does not like it when Trump undoes his executive orders or tries to gut the Affordable Care Act. Like, he, we worked hard for these things. He thinks are important. That is terrible. But he will be happy and proud. He will always be proud of what he did. But if he can look back and see a generation of young people who first got into politics because of him, who then went, stayed with it and, and ran for mayor, ran for city council, ran for Congress, ran for president, uh, that'll be something. And, you know, in that farewell speech he gave in Chicago back in January of 2017, he gave us the roadmap to how to do this, right? It's run for office everywhere, organize always, uh, knock on every door, make every phone call, and that's, that's how you do it. And, like, my book is hopeful because I spent eight years of my life hanging out with the most hopeful guy I know. And, and I, th- I, just, I refer to it as conditional hope. It's not inevitable that this is going to get better. That is for sure. If we don't do the work, the, the hardcore organizing, the registering, the voting, then we're going to be in this mess for a very long time. And it's going to take a long time to get out of. But if we do the work, all the tools are there for an America and a politics that looks more like the one that Barack Obama talked about than the one that Trump tells us about. Uh, well, I think that's why we do what we do. So. That's exactly right. Now, of course, it wouldn't be Mueller, she wrote, if we didn't ask you for your picks for our fantasy indictment league. Uh, okay. Basically, you can draft three people who you think are next to be indicted, whether they cooperate or not. And okay. so, who would your three picks be? Roger Stone. 
uh, Don Jr. Oh, interesting. Roger Stone, Don Jr., and Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen hasn't been indicted yet, right? Yeah, he's not been indicted yet. I think you're... Yeah, so yeah, Michael Cohen is my number one pick. Roger Stone is number two. And Don Jr. is like my 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 March Madness long shot pick. Right? <laughs> yeah, I pick like Bowling, Bowling Green to go to the Final Four. That's, that's Don Jr. He's your wishful pick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but with all those uh, Jose Grinda conversations we got sent to us from Spain, who knows, it could happen sooner than later. Well, there we fingers crossed, I guess. <laughs> well, great picks, and um, there you have it. We've Dan Pfeiffer, former senior advisor to President Obama and co-host of Pod Save America. His new book is out now, called "Yes, We Still Can: Politics in the Age of Obama, Twitter, and Trump." Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. This was a absolute blast. Uh, I love what you guys are doing, and we, I will encourage all the Pod Save America listeners to download your podcast. Oh, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right. What a what a awesome guy. What a cool interview. What a great podcast. Um, and he had so many nice things to say about us, and I can't say enough nice stuff about about them too. It yeah. was just I geeked out talking to him. <laughs> it's like he was a senior advisor to Obama. He saw the guy every That's day. Incredible. That's incredible. I know. And we were talking about this before too. They're so funny. Yeah. They're they could easily yeah they're comedians for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, but yeah they're, they're not. So but they but they are. They're yeah. hilarious. So multi talented. We were talking. We were saying they're funnier than some comedians that we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. So and humor is essential. I think Comey talks about it in his book about Obama having a sense of humor, and you have to have confidence to have a sense of humor and be able to laugh at yourself. And I think that those are the kind of people that uh, Obama would want to surround himself with. So it just makes sense that they're hilarious. Absolutely. Yeah, on point, funny, quick, smart, awesome. Yep. All right, guys. You ready for sabotage? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, So this week's sabotage is normally our sabotage is a late breaking story that might interrupt our fantasy indictment league picks. But I wanted to talk about a different kind of sabotage this week and how being a Trump staffer in D.C. might sabotage your chances of having people touch your wiener. (laughs) There There were a lot of stories that came out this week about sad this this is what deserves a womp womp. Exactly. This is, this is where an the, appropriate womp womp situation. This is where sad trombone goes. Uh, <laughs> because all of the Trump staffers, young Trump staffers uh, in D.C. are sad face because no one will date them. Everyone <laughs> hates them. And we've seen this kind of all over the news. Like Kristen Nielsen, Kirsten Nielsen went to a restaurant. Sarah Sanders went to a restaurant the other day, got told she wasn't going to be able to be served. And she <laughs> tweeted out about it. And it's like, well, you know, if we can't make cake for gay people, I'm not going to serve <laughs> a burrito to a racist. It's called a protest. Yeah. You like, know. that's, you know, hey, we don't serve Trump supporters here. We're allowed mm-hmm. to do that. So, yeah. yeah, they cast the first stone, I think. She's yeah. like, but I'm not a racist. I'm just simply a material <laughs> through which racism <laughs> blows. I'm never a vehicle a for racism. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard a racist call? themselves racist no sure we, we've, there, we've talked about that yeah i don't think i've ever i watched heard it w kamau bell talk to kkk members who called him a mongrel and then said i'm not a racist though <laughs> and it's like well what is yeah what is a racist if yeah. you're not it so yeah no one it's like people who think they have a sense of humor yeah you, exactly you don't all it's like that law in <laughs> physics where you can't ever like you can't observe 
technically a particle because it'll always be like bouncing around mm-hmm. when you actually well, maybe that's too meta racist <laughs> are really uh, fidgety <laughs> It no, sounded like a good idea. It's when cool. I, that it's you, like you can't observe. You can't observe it though when you're doing it yourself. It's too close, basically. Yeah, it's like you lack the perspective it's that like, you need. It's like Schrodinger. Yeah. Uh, no, it's very cool that you bring up STEM because science, technology, engineering, mm-hmm. math. Because next week, spoiler, we got somebody from Rogue NASA who's oh, going to come on snap. and give our, our give their indictment picks and talk yes. about Space Force and stuff. That's so I'm, amazing. I'm very excited about that. Yes. Uh, if you don't follow Rogue NASA, you need to. And and who are they exactly again? They are, I can't tell you. Oh, or, uh, yeah, I guess. You should just what, go to their what, Twitter. What's and, their jam? Uh, they're, well, you know, like all the alt-federal employee accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I am an alt-federal employee. We've got alt, you know, um, basically staffers in Trump, cabinets that hate trump nice yeah so they're rogue nasa that should be its own segment staffers in trump's cabinet that hate trump yeah that'd be be amazing (laughs) yeah who knows but yeah i I feel like we just bring them on for the fantasy indictment league celebrity edition and Mm -hmm. and oh yeah we'll go from there i don't know i'm just excited so thank you for bringing up stem but yeah these staffers are not going to bone town the ones that like trump you know they should be on tinder and be like i work for trump but i hate him You'd have a better chance. You're home. not going to have a good time in D.C. Um, at all if you work for Trump. Just like, regardless, even if you're yeah, like... Like them drumming everybody out of restaurants and protested. Just Somebody went to Kirsten Nielsen's house and blasted um, the sound that um, ProPublica got mm-hmm. from inside mm-hmm. the um, the tender age shelters. Mm-hmm. God, yeah. that's so gross. Uh, yeah, D.C. is... He, I think 95% voted for Hillary. Like, it's yeah. massively democratic. Mm-hmm. What if they're like, I'm the leaker, though. Will you, will you fuck me now? <laughs> oh, dang. I'm the mole. Yeah. Dude, that would be my Tinder Only account. Only in that case, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love Trump. Or do I? Yeah. You know, you'd hate fuck the mole. Oh, uh, that's great. Well, it's a new show for ABC. <laughs> you ready? I'm excited. All right, you guys, we are going on to our next segment. It's uh, this week we're calling uh, this segment Flip It Blue. Mm-hmm. This is where we feature some of our uh, most awesome contenders for, uh, you know, Democrats, progressive candidates running against um, Republicans to flip Congress and flip the Senate. And and this is one of my favorites because this guy is running against Nunes. And so I'm, I'm really excited. Jordan got the interview and it. I think you're going to love it. And I, I, we were talking a little earlier, too, and I know that um, Dan Pfeiffer brought it up, uh, and we talked about it because the proceeds for the presale of his book go toward Swing Left. Mm-hmm. And that's um, – you check them out on Twitter, at Swing Left. That is those highlighted districts where Democrats have a chance to flip, and you can they can focus on that. So we're also going to send some of our proceeds to – if you become a patron and, you know, we send you our thank you gifts and stuff like that, um, some of your money is going to go to uh, Swing Left as well. So That's awesome. Yeah. 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 That their website is great, too. They show all of the districts. They highlight them, who the incumbent is. And you can direct links to donate and work on the ground. It's really cool. Yeah. Because this this election, the uh, Congress is going to be flipped on the ground. Grassroots. Mm-hmm. It has to be. Um so, yeah, we, we want to talk to uh, candidates running against Republicans to help get the word out. We want to amplify the blue wave in November. And so let's uh, let's take a listen. 
Hello, is this Andrew? Yes. Hi, Andrew. This is Jordan giving you a call from Muller She Wrote Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on. Hey, of course. We know you're in San Diego visiting the border and going to different actions and checking out, um, you know, what's going on out of the horrible news that's been happening this week. So we're very appreciative for you being here in our hometown, and we hope your trip's going okay. Uh, if we could just have a couple of minutes of your time, we'd love to showcase you to our listeners that I undoubtedly know are going to be full supporters of you. So, uh, listeners, just so you know, today we're joined by Democrat Andrew Jans. He's congressional candidate in California's 22nd district in the Central Valley, running against one of the most despised people that we cover here at Muller She Wrote, Devin Nunes. Andrew, thank you so much again for being here today. Um, I'd just like to start out, you're a pretty impressive guy. I'd like to start off just by giving you the floor to give us a quick background about yourself and why you're choosing to run in 2018. Uh, sure. Thanks for uh, having me on again, Jordan. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up in, in this district that Devin Nunes represents, and so your your listeners uh, are uh, aware the, the district basically is Central California farm country, uh, the two major cities in the area are Fresno and Visalia. And uh, Devin Nunes has been elected uh, and re-elected uh, over the course of the last 15 or so years, and he's been re-elected comfortably. And so when I saw uh, last year what he was doing on the House Intelligence Committee, uh, a committee that has never been uh, politicized really in the history of uh, uh, its existence, um, I stepped forward. I'm a local prosecutor. Uh, my last assignment was with the Violent Crimes Unit. And uh, the prosecutors that work in my office, and I know prosecutors all across the country, um, people like Robert Mueller, we really value uh, ethics and uh, following the law. And so when I saw what Devin Nunes was doing on the committee working to undermine the, the, the Mueller investigation, uh, I said enough is enough. Uh, so I stepped forward. Well, that's music to our ears, knowing that that was one of your biggest motivations to run. We cannot believe how politicized it's gotten, and it's really scary. So we need people like you, and we're so happy that you're running. Uh, I wanted to ask some questions about your district specifically. What are the biggest challenges that your constituents are facing right now in 2018? You know, those of us who live in the Central Valley really feel like we've been left behind by the rest of the state and by the rest of the nation. Uh, politicians uh, drive through the Central Valley, make pit stops, uh, but they go on to Sacramento and San Francisco or L.A. and really forget about us. And so one of the things that I've been talking about is the need for federal investment in local infrastructure. And this is everything from transportation uh, to water to education. And water is front and center for the people that live in the Central Valley, uh, in the Central Valley and we have issues with uh, contaminated water. Uh, we have issues with our farmers getting the, the the necessary amount of water that they need to uh, continue to grow the fruit, the, the food uh, that we use to feed uh, basically the rest of the nation. And so we really take great pride in, in the fact that we're an agricultural region. And this is something that I've been championing championing on the on the campaign trail. Yeah, we know California does. It's a desert, and we just got. We're not through the drought by any means, and I think people that live in the city, like ourselves, we don't see the effects of it that your constituency, being in the Central Valley, so I, I'm only I can only imagine that is a huge issue for them. I wanted to address. Uh, so you just recently had your primary. You made it through. Congratulations, um, Nunes. Thank you. Yeah, of course. I imagine that was a crazy race. Uh, 
Nunez, from the numbers that we looked at, locked in about 58% of the vote, and it looks like you received about 32% in the primary. How's your campaign planning on closing that gap? Well, I think it's important to know that uh, if you compare Nunez's numbers this time around to the last midterm election in 2014, he's down anywhere, uh, depending on what numbers you look at, between uh, 10 and 15 points from his last uh, performance. Uh, so we think that we've uh, really put a dent into his uh, his base uh, locally. Uh, but we know and understand that we have still a lot of work to do. And we expect that the voter turnout in uh, November is going to be significantly higher. The voting population is going to be younger and more diverse. Uh, 44 to 46% of the district is Latino. Uh, but they only make up around uh, 15 to 20% of the voting electorate given um, the election cycle. So we're going to be uh, in these communities talking to folks. What we're seeing going on down here at the border, I think, is going to help to energize a lot of families in the Central Valley that don't agree with what the Trump administration is doing. They can't stand the fact that Devin Nunes uh, stands closer to Trump than any other politician in Washington. So we're going to work very hard to make sure that voters are educated and motivated to go to the polls. Well, that's amazing that you're already seeing a closing of that gap and the support for your campaign. It's flowing in from all around the country. I know you're getting donations from all around, and that is so happy. That is such a happy thing for us to hear. We're so happy that people are supporting you like that because this is such an incredibly important race. Just like you said, Nunez is a friend of Trump's and arguably Russia, and he's a threat to our national security. So very happy that... You, you know, I've I lived in this district all my life, and I have never seen the type of energy and excitement that we're seeing here on the ground. It's stuff that we're seeing all across the country in places like Alabama uh, and Pennsylvania and Connor Lamb's race. We're seeing it here, too, in the Central Valley. And the outpouring of support from all over the country really helps our cause. It helps because people understand... Um, and uh, realize that this race has national implications and that people outside the boundaries of our district really are depending upon us to do the right thing and to send Devin Nunes home. Absolutely. That is 100% what we are hoping for. Do you think that the constituents in your district and maybe even you know some of the Republican ones are ready for a change in 2018? I, I think so. You know, I work in the uh, law enforcement agency as a prosecutor, and I can tell you that um, because I do work in a law enforcement in- agency, uh, a lot of the folks that work there um, would, would classify themselves as, as, as conservative, uh, but many of them don't agree with what the Trump administration is doing. Uh, they don't understand um, why he's really working to undermine the, the Russia investigation, undermining and trying to delegitimize uh, law enforcement, federal law enforcement in particular. Um, and they don't agree with where Trump is taking taking the uh, the party. You know, one of the things that's going to hurt the most in our district are these um, tariffs that other countries are going to impose upon the crops and produce that we grow here in the Central Valley, like almonds uh, and pistachios, uh, grapes and raisins and things like that. You know, India just uh, announced a new tariff against uh, some of our farmers this past week, and that's very concerning to a lot of uh, growers who are, you know, traditionally Republican voters. So I've made it a, a point to go out into these communities that Democrats traditionally don't um, don't uh, don't talk to. And so I think that we've made inroads. You know, I'm not going to win all Republicans, but, you know, we're going to win some. 
the ones that understand that uh, that Trump isn't good for our local economy. Absolutely. Yeah. Not only on a national level, like you said, on a local level, he's not good. Uh, I wanted to, as you know, we are a Mueller investigation centric podcast. So I, I wanted to know from your perspective, how important do you think the special counsel's investigation is to you and your constituents? You know, this is going to be one of the most important investigations ever conducted in our nation's history. In 2016, we know that the Russians attempted to meddle in our elections. A number of federal agencies and their heads, uh, by the way, who are Republicans, have said as much. And so we need to figure out exactly what happened, what exactly did the Russians do, and what Americans these Russians work with. And if the Russians worked with any of these Americans, then they must be prosecuted, they must be brought in front of a judge, they must be tried, and they should be sentenced if convicted. And so we need to make sure that this investigation is completed and it's protected. And we need to stop the Trump administration. We need to stop people like Devin Nunes from trying to delegitimize this process. Robert Mueller uh, is a respected uh, individual. Prosecutors from all across the country, Republicans, Democrats included, uh, have praised his uh, career and his performance. This is somebody that served our country. And I think that it's utterly disgraceful for someone like Devin Nunes to try to drag his name through the mud in an attempt to score political points. So I'm going to work very hard to make sure that we have uh, a White House uh, and an executive branch that's accountable. Uh, The only way that we can do that is to win back control of the House of Representatives and gain subpoena power back, especially within this committee, the House Intelligence Committee. Absolutely. We love to hear you not shying away from what a big deal this investigation is. Sometimes I feel like we talk to people and they, they want to maybe stay away from it since it's I suppose it's polarizing. We don't really see how it's polarizing. It seems pretty cut and dry that it's uh, absolutely not okay. And like you said, it's a precedent-setting investigation for our country. So we're incredibly happy to support you and know that that is as big of an issue to you as it is to us and so many Americans. Um, On the topic of Putin, if I may ask, I was doing some some research to you, and uh, I heard about a billboard that that you uh, (laughs) – would you mind telling our listeners about that? I think they would love it. You know, it was funny that, um, you know, in this election cycle, there are hundreds of candidates running all across the country, and I've had the wonderful opportunity to meet many of them over the course of the last um, year or so. And uh, one of the things that that many campaigns struggle to do is really get uh, attention for their race. You know, the unfortunate reality of modern-day politics is that you have to raise money to compete with, uh, especially someone like Devin Nunes, who has uh, close to $5 million in his bank account. Um, And so we tried many different uh, tactics to sort of gain national attention and so we can solicit support from donors from outside of our region. And uh, what we did was uh, we put up a billboard of Vladimir Putin holding Donald Trump and Devin Nunes on a child leash with Devin Nunes with an ice cream cone and Donald Trump crying. And uh, it uh, it went viral. <laughs> well, we it was uh, it was during the time where uh, the news was breaking out of the out of the white someone leaked out of the White House that. Uh, but Donald Trump prefers two scoops of ice cream, and so we wanted to sort of play off of that. <laughs> that is so um, brilliant. That yeah, is, but yeah. Uh, you know what? That uh, you know, we we gain national attention uh, just from a you know $150 billboard, 
And uh, it's sort of been nonstop from there. Yeah, it sounds like it was a good investment. And I think people appreciate uh, the simultaneously tongue-in-cheek and satirical element of it. So I think that was a smart move on your part, especially with people that are younger, too. I think that's going to appeal to a lot of voters that may not have otherwise felt compelled to, you know, direct their attention. Yeah, and Jordan, here's the other thing. You know, there are a lot of there are a lot of people and a lot of political pundits across the country saying things like, you know, uh, Democrats shouldn't be attacking Trump. They should try to, you know, be doing their own message. But you know, at the same time, um, you know, we can't. We got to hold the president accountable. And as a prosecutor, um, and with my track record, I'm not afraid to do that. You know, I I prosecute some really bad people, gang members, uh, and people that really seek to do our community harm. And so. I think that it's part of my obligation as a candidate running for Congress to really uh, hold the president accountable because that's the job I'm applying for. The House of Representatives and Congress as a whole is supposed to be a check on the executive branch. Our Congress isn't doing it today. Absolutely. We, I, yeah, we cannot say enough how much, uh, how ideal of a candidate you are for our current political climate and what's happening right now with this investigation. I wanted to ask you, I know you don't have much time and you're busy. Thank you so much for the time you've given us. I just wanted to ask you one more, one more question. Um, it's regarding Mueller's approval ratings. I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did. It, it, it looks as though in some respects, maybe support for this investigation is waning. And do, what do you think that's because of? Do you think we're having fatigue just as a country over it? What, what do you, how do you think we can keep the energy up so we can continue to prosecute, you know, support this investigation like it needs to be supported? Well, there's a couple of things there. You know, the, um, the consistent drumbeat from the White House, Rudy Giuliani, and, and the others that work around the president, the president included, uh, they've worked from day one to delegitimize this investigation. You have to ask yourself why. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, as a prosecutor, you know, we're trained not to take into account, um, sort of the, 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 the political back and forth of every day, you know, Washington left versus right, that sort of thing. And just really work to get and gather the evidence necessary to prosecute a crime that was committed. And, you know, with that being said, I mean, this is going to be one of the most important investigations in our, in our country's history. And so Robert Mueller has to get it right. And I understand that the American people are becoming impatient with this investigation. But, you know, the, the Mueller investigation, the Mueller team, they can't, um, they can't uh, you know, they can't um, take shortcuts here. And so they got to do the job that they have to do. And then here's the other component. Um, given what happens out of this out of this investigation, uh, the House of Representatives is going to have an opportunity to hold the the the, the White House and, and the Donald Trump campaign, and maybe perhaps uh, Donald Trump himself accountable if it turns out that there is um, evidence uh, that supports um, uh, the Trump campaign working with with the Russians leading up to 2016. And so, you know, the calculation there is to delegitimize this investigation in the eyes of the public. So there, there isn't public support and support for members of Congress to cast a vote for, for impeachment. And so there's a couple of things going on here. The best thing that we can do is to be patient. But at the same time, we got to push back on all the stuff that the Donald Trump administration is spewing out every single day. You know, we have Sarah Huckabee Stan, uh, Sanders, uh, the White House press secretary, lying to the American people day after day. Um, so I just encourage the national media and folks that are paying attention to what's going on in Washington to keep um, keep doing what they're doing. The Trump administration is going to continue to say that they're fake news, but um, they got to keep doing their jobs. The American people really depend upon it. 
Well, Andrew, we'd hope so badly that you win that seat so you can be an advocate for all of us when you're in Congress. Uh, thank you so much for being on our show today. Can't express enough how much we're rooting for you. If you could, just uh, let our listeners know how they can follow your campaign and where they can get more involved. Yeah, you can follow me on social media. Uh, Twitter's my best, uh, the best place that you can follow me. Jans for Congress. And then if you want to Google me, uh, my website should be the first thing that comes up. But if it doesn't, it's andrewjansforcongress.com. All right. Well, listeners, you heard it here. Support Andrew. If you're able to donate, please do. If you're in that district, especially see if you can get involved on the ground. I know it's going to be very grassroots. Uh, Andrew, thank you again so much for being in San Diego today and showing your support for undocumented families and bringing that back to your constituents. Uh, We wish you the best of luck and we hope to talk to you soon and we'll be following you. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having me on and keep up the good work on your end. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Take care. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. That's our show this week. You can catch the full interviews by becoming a patron and supporting women in podcasting and activism through media. I've been AG. I've been Jaleesa Johnson. I've been Jordan Coburn. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is produced and engineered by AG with editing and logo design by Jaleesa Johnson. Market consulting by Amanda Reeder at Unicorn Creative. Our digital media director and subscriber managers are Jordan Coburn and Sarah Hirschberger Valencia. Our partners are fastgrass.org and joysteaspoon.com. Fact-checking and research by AG with support from Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn. Muller She Wrote staff includes AG, Jaleesa Johnson, Jordan Coburn, Sarah Hirschberger Valencia, Jesse Egan, and Sarah Lee Steiner. Our web design and branding are by Joelle Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is mullersherote.com. Season four of How We Win is here. For the past four years, we've been making history in critical elections all over the country. And last year, we made history again by expanding our majority in the Senate, beating election-denying Republicans in crucial state house races, and fighting back a non-existent red wave. But the MAGA Republicans who plotted and pardoned the attempted overthrow of our government now control the House, thanks to gerrymandered maps and repressive anti-voter laws. And the chaotic spectacle we've already seen shows us just how far they will go to seize power, dismantle our government, and take away our freedoms. So the official podcast of The Persistence is back with season four. There's so much more important work ahead of us to fight for equity, justice, and our very democracy itself. We'll take you behind the lines and inside the rooms where it happens with strategy and inspiration from progressive changemakers all over the country. And we'll dig deep into the weekly news that matters most and what you can do about it with messaging and communications expert, co-founder of Way to Win, and our new co-host, Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. So join Steve and I every Wednesday for your weekly dose of inspiration, action, and hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And this this is is How We Win. M. S.
S W Media.